Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. today to enter in to part three of the underdog series. We've been out of the underdog series the last two weeks and and how many really enjoyed hearing hearing kind of the vision of the church the last two weeks? Round of applause. Did you enjoy hearing it? Okay. A couple of you are like, no, I'm done. I want underdog. Um, we, I really enjoyed it. Last two weeks I've really shared my heart with what I believe and really we talked about the harvest, how the harvest is the hardest part and last week we looked at breakthrough and how breakthrough is really um, you know, we break through and then there's another breakthrough that has to take place. And what is the breakthrough that God is calling us to go to, okay? And so we're getting to that place and we looked at Elam. You know, we're going from the city of Mara to the city of Elam. Get us back caught up to speed here on God of the Underdogs as we're jumping into week three of that. And that's the last two weeks before that. We started that Easter Sunday. If you remember, we talked about the greatest underdog ever. His name is, come on, Jesus. Yes, sir. Come on, every Bible school answer from the pastor's always Jesus, right? I don't have like candy to throw to you though. I'm sorry, all right? Um, you got to go to the K through 5th. That's my plug to go help, help them back there. Um, no, but then, then we talked about the week after that, we talked about somebody else's past who was screwed up. He was a murderer. He, he kind of messed things up, and that was Paul. If you remember that, we talked about that and how we don't want to let our past hold us down from what God wants to do. And so I kind of want to turn things a little bit today. And, and let, me, let me start by sharing this. It is fishing opener, so there would be no appropriate way of having a message today without sharing a fishing illustration. Can I get an amen? All right. So here's the deal. When I was eight years old, I was with my grandfather, and we were out on this little lake called Smith Lake up in Alexandria. Some of you might know of it. And we were out fishing, and he had this little six-horse Johnson. He'd put on the back of, you know, this little boat rental that we'd rent from a little resort. And we'd go out, and we'd go fishing. And my grandpa, every, you know, he'd always had a cigarette in one hand, fishing pole in the other. That was my, that was my grandpa. And so we'd get out on the lake, and, and he would get up into the little reeds. You ever fished in the reeds? You know, those, like, tall green things. They're skinny. They whip you in the face if you're going fast through them. And, and we get into the reed section, and, and we anchor down. And it's serious. It's like, you know, four feet of water, really shallow. And he starts fishing, and he's got the little cane pole with the little reel attached, and, and he's just, you know, cigarette, you know, hanging out on one side of the mouth, the cane pole on the other, and he's just one after another pulling in these huge sunfish. Who likes catching huge sunfish? Come on, man. And so he's pulling them in, and, and left and right, and the basket's getting full and all of this, and we're doing this, you know, all into the evening. Well, the sun starts going down, and he says, we got to get ready to go back to the cabin. It's really, really late. I said, okay, okay, and so he, he goes to start the motor, he turns, and, and he goes to start the six horse, and it doesn't start. And so my grandpa, he's pretty mechanically inclined, and he opens up the back of the motor, and he starts working on it, and, and he's trying to figure out what, what exactly is, you know, screwed up with the motor. And he hands me this little, little thing, and I'm not a mechanic, and it's called a shear pin. And if you ask me right now what a shear pin does, I can't even tell you, okay? Some of you are like, I even know that, and I'm not a mechanic. That's how mechanically inclined I am not. And so he gives me this shear pin, Seriously, who knows what a shear pin is? All right, cool, you win. And so he, I grab it, and, and he says, Christopher, and anyone in my family calls me Christopher, it's like I have to listen, okay? And so I listen, and I hold on to it, and, and I'm, I'm like seven or eight, I'm pretty young, and so I just hold on to it, and he's working, and, and I'm in this boat, I'm in this shallow section next to all of these reeds. Well, you're a kid, what do you do? 
He started grabbing the reeds, and I'm pulling them. I'm making La La Land, you know, this is so fun. And, and all of a sudden, and I'm like just, you know, making the best of the situation, getting really dark. And so my grandpa finally figures out, he's like, and he's looking at the motor. He turns back to me, he's like, okay, I need that shear pin now. And I'm like, what shear pin? He looks at me, and my grandpa, he loved me to death, but he had a stare of death. Some of you have grandfathers like that. And he looked at, and he was staring right through me. And then all of a sudden it was like that, I did it. And I'm like, I don't think I have it, Grandpa. I think I lost it in the lake. I thought he was going to kill me and use me as an anchor. I, he was so mad. So we don't even have oars in the boat. No oars in the boat. We're out. It's like 1030 at night by now. And so what he has me do, because he's so mad, is he has me pull us with the reeds all the way in to shore. So I'm pulling us, you know, all the way in. We get in. My grandma's back at the cabin. We get back, and she was, a word I can't use from the pulpit, she was, we'll just say mad. And uh, she wanted to kill me and him, you know. What are you doing giving him that shear pin for anyway? Well, here's the deal. Out of this situation, something happened to me, something internalized from that moment on in my life to something else. And that was this. I became so scared to death of working or touching anything mechanical. Like, seriously, like, I, I became tool boy. Anybody tool boy or tool girl? You know what I mean? Like, hey, I need, I need a wrench. I can do that. I can, what's a wrench? You know, like, that was me. You know, my dad would say, I need a, I need a 16, you know, number Phillips screwdriver. And I'm going, who's Phillip? You know, or what, what are you talking about? Straight slide? You mean flathead? Like, I was like, I didn't, I seriously, I had no clue. I was not mechanically inclined at all. And so we started working on cars, doing oil changes. I'm like, you can do that yourself? Like, wow, wow, how? And, and I became so insecure of like, I can't do this. I, I felt like I got to this place where I was like not good enough. Even when we like finished our basement at our house, you know, 10 years ago, I, I, I was scared. I was like, I don't know how to lay tile. I don't want to touch a saw. I'm going to screw it up. Come on, who's with me? You've been there, some of us. You know what, exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I became so incredibly insecure because of the stupid shear pin. I was like, I can't work on anything. I just can't do it. Well, let's go into the Bible here in just a moment. Today I want to talk about this underdog excuse. And it's the underdog excuse of that some of us, we ask the question or we think, I'm not good enough. I mean, I, I, I'm just not good enough. Or I feel like, I don't really fit in. Now I come to the Bridge Church, everyone's friendly, but I feel like I'm the one that's sticking out. I don't feel like I'm I'm fitting in, or, or at your work, you're going, I'm kind of the odd duck out. Am I good enough? Am I, am I good enough in my family? And we end up with this insecurity of going, am, am I really good enough that God can use me? And I think what happens is, we, we, especially for pastors, we put pastors on pedestals. I've put pastors on pedestals. You know, and in some churches, it's only the pastor that can give communion. You know, in our church, anybody can give communion. It doesn't say biblically that it has to be a pastor that gives communion. And I think what happens is then we feel like, well, I could never share from the, the message. I don't know my Bible that well. Or I could never do that because I don't know God well enough. And we as highly esteem other people that we think have it all together. When I can be very honest and transparent with you, I don't. Okay? I don't have it all together. I don't think any of us do. And if we think we have it all together, we know you don't because you think you do. With me on that? So we all have these different insecurities. But let's go biblical for a moment. We're going to pick up the story here in just a minute in the book of Exodus. We're kind of going to do a little prequel today. Last week we looked at 
Moses later on after they crossed the Red Sea. We're going to go back to Moses way, way back to his birth. And so here's Moses. He's born. And at this time, Pharaoh was killing all of the Hebrew kids. He was killing them all, all the boys. And so Moses' mom got scared, took him, put him in a basket, put him out into the river, and sent him on his way. And so Moses was on his way. Pharaoh's granddaughter saw him, went and grabbed him, brought, brought her and said, man, I found this Hebrew child. Well, I can't nurse him. I'm an Egyptian. They couldn't do that. And she said, I have to find a Hebrew woman to, you know, to actually do this, to nurse him. And so she finds a Hebrew woman, actually happens to be Moses' mom, finds Moses' mom, incredible miracle. And, and here's what's really interesting. Unless she would have done that and put him in the river and Moses would have been, not been found by Pharaoh's granddaughter, he would have not had the life he had for the next 40 years. For the next 40 years, Moses and his mom, they were brought into Pharaoh's palace. They lived high off the hog, man. He was like the rich kid. He, he had it all together. He had everything you could ever want or imagine. Everything was great, man. For 40 years, it was just, it was just incredible. It was awesome. Well, Moses, during this time, he realizes and he sees something after living 40 years with Pharaoh, under Pharaoh's roof. Well, first of all, he got to watch and witness one of the greatest world leaders that we've ever known to this day. Okay, it might be biblical, it might be a long time ago, but this is the greatest world leader in that day that existed. And he lived with him, so he got to watch him. He got to see how he acted. How was he a high-level leader? And he realized this. Well, during this time, Moses starts seeing that his people are being persecuted. His people are being enslaved and in bondage from the Egyptian people. And Moses starts getting a little mad. He's like, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I see. We got we to gotta figure it out. We got to do something about it. And so Moses, around the age of 40, finally clicks. And he goes, he sees an Egyptian, you know, messing with a Hebrew slave. Now, Moses didn't grow up in slavery, but he watched the other Hebrews, you know, in slavery goes out and he kills this Egyptian and he all of a sudden this shame this guilt comes over him he's like I, I gotta hide I gotta get out of here I, I gotta get away from this situation he actually hides the Egyptian's body and he flees flees to a place called Midian with his father-in-law named Jethro and he's out there for the next 40 years 40 more years okay so real simple math I'm married to a math teacher how long was Pharaoh how long did Pharaoh have Moses in his household 40 years and then now Moses is out with his father-in-law for the next 40 years. So we are now at a total of 80 years. Moses is 80 years before any biblical text says God speaks to him. 80 years old. He's an old dude, man. Any of us here over 80? Anybody here this morning? Okay, none of us are over 80. So imagine waiting your whole life until God speaks to you. And so during this time, he's a murderer. He, he flees. He becomes a nomad. And then it also says he's got a stuttering problem. He can't speak. And so he's got all these different insecurities about him, these things that he can't utilize because he feels like God won't use him. And he sees other people that can relate. And he's thinking, I can't relate. I feel like I'm the odd guy out. And so let's pick up the story here. It's Exodus chapter 3, the first four verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. That'd just be really cool. Could you imagine on your way out, and like one of the handicap signs just explodes into fire? I mean, just think, you would stop, right? I hope so. Or you'd be like, I didn't put my cigarette out this morning. No. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. 
Okay, a little history here. In the desert, we don't live in the desert here. We live in, you know, Midwest. But in the desert area, it's still today. Many times you will see bushes that have no green on them. They're so dehydrated. There's no water. They will just start on fire and they will actually burn up. Well, this happens all the time. And he sees this happening and he's like, whoa, time out. He's like, why is this one not burning up? What's going on? So God does something to gain his attention and he goes over to see what's up. So Moses thought, verse 3, I'll go over and I'll see the strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. First time, 80 years old, God ever spoke to Moses. And all he says is two words. Moses, Moses. First two words he says. Now, put, put your, I guess we'll have to go sandals. Put, put yourself in Moses' sandals for a moment. And you're in Moses' sandals, right? And here it is. You've lived now 40 years with Jethro, your father-in-law, okay? You got, you're living, again, a great life. You have your family now. Things are going well. You've got comfort, man. It's great. Things are awesome. Things are looking well. You're like, man, this is, this is a great life. This is awesome. I got so many sheep. I can't even count them. Life is good. And then you walk by, and all of a sudden, God gets your attention. And he's like, what, what, why is that bush not burning up? What's going on? And he walks over to it, and all he hears is Moses, Moses, 80-year-old, getting attention from God. God finally says, boom, here it is. Let's read on, verse 5 through 9. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your what? Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, verse 6. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Have you ever realized how many times Moses goes and hides? All the time. We esteem him. We think he wrote the first five books of the Bible. We say Moses was the greatest leader. And incredibly, he hides. He was scared. He had such an insecurity. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Sounds a little bit like Moses. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. Sounds a little bit like Moses. And I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the hand into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of all these people. Verse 9. We're going to do that this morning. We don't have to get into it. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now put yourself back in, you know, put back on your sandals for a moment. You're in Moses' shoes. And I've got to be thinking, if you're Moses, you're like, yeah, God, yes, God, you finally got it. I've been praying for the last 40 years of my life, God, and you showed up exactly what I'm saying. They're oppressed. The Egyptians are killing us. We're enslaved. And finally, God, you got it. Finally, God, finally, God, you're listening to me. I think it's a little backwards where God is saying, no, no, no. No, I get it. The burden that you have, Moses, I have. For your people, I want them saved. And, and Moses is probably, he's doing like the happy dance, okay? I mean, he's like, he's just skipping. He's like, yeah, woo, all right? He's, there's as much dance as you're going to see, okay? He's excited. He's like, woo, this, he's on fire. And, and I got to be thinking, Moses is thinking in the back of his head, God, you're good, I'm good, so God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do, Lord. Verse 10. So now go. Wait, what? I'm sorry. What did you say? Yeah, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Time out. You're sending me? I agreed with you. I'm good. I'm good. I got my comfortable. 
I got my bass boat. I got my nice, you know, urban house, rural house, suburban house. I'm good. I'm comfortable. I got my family. I've got my great job. God, I don't want you to speak to me. Not if I have to flee and go somewhere and do something where I could be killed. I lived with Pharaoh 40 years. I know what can happen. I don't could, could go down. Are you kidding me, Lord? And so Moses does something that I think a lot of us do. I think a lot of us can relate to it when we look at the story this way, is he comes up with excuses. I come up with excuses. Do, do you come up with excuses ever? You know, I think we do. And I think what happens is when God is trying to get a hold of our heart, he's trying to peel back the layers, it can hurt. It doesn't feel nice. It doesn't feel good. And yet God's trying so hard to get a hold of us because he doesn't want just a little bit of us. He wants all of us. And so what happens right here is Moses comes up with three incredible excuses or insecurities. He says, God, I'm not qualified. I'm not credible. I, I don't, the first one is, I have no credibility. He's thinking, I, I murdered somebody. And he's thinking, I'm the rich kid. I'm going to the slaves. They're not going to listen to me. I, I, I'm, I can't do this. I have no credibility at all. God, you can't do this because of me. And so he gives this first excuse to God. Look what God says here. Verse 14, God says, I am who I am. Some versions say, I am what I will be. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so God is saying to Moses, yo, bro, yo, home slice, psh, psh, knock, knock, pudding head. It ain't about you, bro. Psh. You know, I think God sometimes throws an elbow. You know he does. You know he wants us to wake up sometimes. He's trying to get Moses' attention, you know. And finally gets Moses' attention. He's like, it's not about you and your ability. It's about your incapability and God's capability. It's about God's capability, not your incapability. And so it's like, okay, all right. It's not, it's not about me being credible. It's about God saying, I will do it. Well, Moses uses a second excuse. Moses uses a second excuse. I've been doing good without my notes, but I have to look here for a moment. And the second excuse was this. He said, what evidence is there? How many times have we done that? Have we ever asked God for a sign? We've done that, you know? God says, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. God, can you just give me affirmation? Can you just show me? I just really need you to show me that that's really you that's speaking. When deep down inside, that still small voice, we know it's God already speaking. Okay, this is what he says. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. God, what happens? You told me I'm to go. But there's no evidence that you did. It's their word against my word. It's evolution versus creationism. It's Jesus versus everything else. What, what is it? And I love this part of the story. Tell, tell me if you remember this. Remember the staff? You know the staff that he put in front of the Red Sea later on after the story? Well, he's holding his staff. And God says, now take your staff and throw it down to the ground. And he throws it down to the ground. And what does God make his staff? Do you remember? He turns it into a snake. Bring that into today's society. That's like taking my cousin Troy's wild hat over there and throwing it down on the ground. Some of you are like, yes, Jesus. No throwing it down on the ground and it becomes a white castle slider that is a miracle and I would eat that on the ground absolutely 
We have a great cleaning team. I would eat it. All right? He does this miracle. He's like, don't worry, I got it. All the evidence is clear. It's going to work out. I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove it to you that I'm going to be there. Now, let me share, share this with you. I think what happens to us, and I do this, preaching to myself today, is that we think, you know what, God? I need confirmation. And we think God's going to show us confirmation just like he did to Moses. He's going to give us the hat to White Castle thing. And he doesn't. There's no cookie-cutter confirmation of what God can do. And so the third thing that he uses, the third thing that Moses brings up, is he starts talking about his personal flaw. Check it out, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. This, this verse just bugs me. I have never been eloquent, neither in past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Have we done this? Have we ever done this? Where God is speaking to us. You're credible because of my credibility. Okay? You're good enough. It's not that you're not. Okay? I'm the evidence that you need. And then yet we're like, but, 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 but God, I, I can't. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to talk. God, I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm not sure how to do this. And we use these insecurities. We hold on to them. We start believing them as if they're true. And Moses says, you know, I, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. Par- pardon your servant, Lord. I, I've never been eloquent. I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. Well, God had been extremely patient with Moses up to this time. But look what he says here. Right after this, the Lord said to him, um, yo, bro, hey, and this is kind of the, just to give you an idea of the language here in the Hebrew, this is, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but this is really the language that Hebrew is using. He's basically saying, you're being an idiot, Moses. Wake up. Hey, moron. Hello? Who's the one that gave you your speech, huh? Who's the one that gives human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them their sight? Who makes them blind? Is it not the Lord? Sounds a little bit like a song we just sang. Now go, I will help you. For cry it out loud, Moses, psh, go. And I will teach you what to say. Psh, yeah? And finally, finally, after all of this, I wish I could, I wish I, I wish the Bible had better news with what happened with Moses. If you're familiar with the story, God uses his brother Aaron to go with him because of his insecurities, God didn't utilize it. Let me give you just a couple thoughts here in the remainder of our time with this story because I think what happens is we end up using the am I good enough excuse with what God wants to do in and through us we don't feel like we meet those standards we don't ever feel like we we've arrived and yet we want to arrive well one of those is this confidence is really silent when our insecurities they yell at us all the time you know I think that's the difference between God's voice and the enemy's voice you know the difference. You've heard it. Where you're confident, like, I know that's God's still small voice speaking to me. We've heard it. We can feel it. We experience it. In fact, one of the greatest testimonies I heard this week, just a huge win for our church, was last Sunday, somebody here was talking to somebody else, and they said, man, just during worship this morning, I just felt the presence of God just move. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. You know, we're growing, church. We're not always growing externally, but I think sometimes God wants us to grow internally. And growing internally means being open to the things and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? What does he want to do in our life? Let's be open to that. Let him lead you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, this goes on, and I think what happens is we think our insecurities hold us back from our destiny. That's what Moses thought. Can I, can I change that? Because I believe firmly 
that it's our insecurities that line us up perfectly for our destiny. Why? Well, if God's strength really is made perfect in our weakness, and that's biblical, and I believe that, then who gets all the credit? God does. You know, Moses stuttered. He couldn't speak well. He couldn't do it. Think about it. God is taking somebody who can't speak well, the spoiled rich kid in some people's eyes, and saying, I want you to go and lead the people out of Egypt and do it. And Moses is like, no, I can't. I'm, I'm not good enough. There's every, every time we think that we're not good enough, it's because we bought into that lie, and it actually becomes our defining belief. Again, it's not about our capabilities or incapabilities. It's about what God can do. Now, let me say this. There's some people here this morning, I believe firmly, that are going, you know what? I'm okay. I'm good enough. I'm, I'm secure. And, and if that's you, I think what the issue is, you know, if you're like, man, that's, that's for my, my spouse next to me today, or that's for this person or for that person, we have to realize that arrogance is really just insecurities camouflage. Okay? You've got to realize we're all just like an onion being pulled back layer by layer. You ever peeled back an onion? It's nasty, man. You'll cry. But then have you ever got to the middle of the onion? Can you ever really get to that last piece? You ever notice how small it gets in the center? And I think what God is doing is he starts on the outside, where it's really easy to peel back the layers. Really easy. You know, take the skin off an onion, and then he gets to the next layer. Maybe it's thick. It comes off pretty good. And then you get into the middle of that onion, and right in the middle of it, when he starts peeling it back, it becomes a little bit more difficult. It becomes harder to see. It becomes harder to peel that, that next layer off because it becomes smaller and smaller. But the more we let God do that, the more we let him into the core of our heart, the core of our life. He wants to do that. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three last, three last thoughts um, when it comes to our insecurities. Now, I'll be very honest with you. When we started the Bridge Church, I remember walking in and going, what am I doing? I'm not, I'm not good enough to lead church. Why, why are there people there? You know, I, I don't know that this is me. I've made mistakes in my past. I'm going to St. Francis. Man, this is the town I grew up in. I wasn't a Christian then. I'll just let you fill in the blanks on that. Use your own imagination because it's probably going to be better than what really did happen. I screwed up. Made some serious wrong choices in my life. I know it's just me, no one else here. But I think what happens is we end up using that going, well, God probably can't use me then. Maybe my testimony's not good enough. And we start listening to the wrong voices. And so here's what I would encourage us to do. Rather than live in our securities and allow them to keep us from our potential, acknowledge them and let God use them for his potential. So let me give you three, three things, action steps this morning. First is this. Know your insecurities. Anyone here, like, just you love to keep your house, like, super clean? Like, none of us do. That's cool. All right. We're like, no, I like it dirty, man. I just, you know, I just like, I like everything on the floor everywhere. I'm kind of a neat freak, for those of you that know me. I, I like everything really neat. And so when you have everything neat and well, you know, or I walk into the church and I see something, I'll, I'll pick it up, you know, and, and whatever. Well, here's the deal. When you invite somebody in, even to your neat house, guess what? They see parts of my house that aren't neat. And I'm going, well, I didn't know I had dust on top of the, the door jams. Really? You got a dust up there? You know? And they end up seeing stuff that you didn't even know was there. So how do you know your insecurities? You probably can. You've got to ask those around you. 
ask those closest to you. Ask those trusted voices. I trust our elder board here. I trust, you know, our staff. I ask, I ask them a lot. Is it always just wonderful news when they share with you what your insecurities are? Oh, yeah. It's great. But you want to know them so you can work on them. So know them. And if you're going, I don't know who to ask. You can ask me. I know many of you. I know what a lot of your insecurities are. <laughs> now you're scared. No. I'm kidding. I don't. We're all human. You know all mine. You see them every Sunday. Okay, but we all have different ones. So know them. Why? For these last two steps. The second thing, once you know what your insecurities are, whatever it is, maybe you're going, I'm not good enough. I didn't come from this house. I didn't come from that. I don't know my Bible well enough. Whatever, whatever excuse you want to put in there that we know is garbage, then own it. Know it. Second, own it. Own it. We talked at our, our leadership meeting last week. We said, hey, you know what? If we're late to something, if we missed something, if we didn't get something, whatever, just own it. There's no reason for an excuse. Just own your stuff. This morning, you know, I was late coming in. I owned it. This is my fault. Okay? We got to own our stuff. And so once we know our insecurities of whatever it is, then own it. Be real in real time. Write it down, man. Wow. My buddy, my friend, they told me this was my insecurity. Write it down and learn from it, you know? It's not going to be perfect. It's that onion back and forth. And so we've got to know over and over. The last one is this, and I want to close with this and invite the worship team up, is this. You've got to invite others in. Let's be really, really real for just a moment. I'll be very real with you. You know, this, you, many of you know my, my mom's dying. I shared that a little bit ago. Can I be very just transparent with you of what sounds so nice to me to do? Not show up Sunday morning. Not have to share with you what's going on. Not have to answer the questions of, how's your mom doing? That's what my flesh wants to do. You ever been there? You're dealing with crap and you're going... I don't want to show up because I know people are going to ask me. What is it about that that makes us not want to be with other people? Because that doesn't sound like God to me. What sounds like God to me is saying, hey, you know what? I'm struggling a little. Will you walk alongside with me? I'm secure enough to say that. I'm secure enough to say, I need you to be with me right now. I need somebody because I can't do it alone. <clears throat> talked about church <clears throat> church vision the last two weeks I think one of the greatest areas of need that we have in our church is relational connection how many of you have a commute more than a half an hour each way each day within this community probably many of us it's 95% according to demographics online I know our town very well how many love when news comes up about our town throughout the week How many know there's a reason we're here? We can't, I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself either. So get over yourself. The quicker you can, the better. But one of the greatest things relationally that we're missing is just connecting. You know, I've told, I'll tell anybody here, take somebody out for lunch. You don't have the money to do it? I'll pay for it out of my pocket for you to go do it. Get to know people. And then what happens is, we get rid of that underdog excuse, oh, no one talked to me today. <clears throat> That's not our heart at the church. We all know that. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for us to go and say hi to somebody that we don't know. But 
take them out, but it becomes this great relational experience. So it's just my encouragement is not only know your insecurities, not only own them, and then let others in, but do that for someone else as well. Walk alongside of them. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.